American Sublime, episode 16. For, we've been away for a minute, and might as well say Happy New Year to everybody. Merry Christmas. Late, a little late to that, but this was, this was our, we didn't have the time to do anything before the holidays hit, so. Yeah, we were all over. I hit the road, and. You were drinking coffee at your brother's until oh. the midnight hours, probably. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so now we're back. It's been about, it's been a couple weeks, probably. Maybe not even that long. This last episode was with Taylor. Yeah. It was, uh, when was it? Before the holiday. So, I mean. Only a few days before Probably Christmas. 10 days, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so that was, that was a lot of fun. How was your holiday, anyway? It was good. It was good. I can't remember what we did. Did it you put cold. a tree up? No. Oh, you don't do the pagan thing? Is that no, no, I'm into it. I, I like the trees. <laughs> but I just didn't get around to it. Did you? Did your brother do it? Yes. And did you go to your brother's for Christmas? Yes. Yeah, okay, you did. Yeah. Nice. We had a wreath. At your, ho- at your yeah. apartment? Yeah. yeah. Your house? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's cool. you got to have some of the greenery you know, bring in. I like it. We listen to a lot of... A lot of Christmas music. What else do we do? Like early jazz. Oh, only a little bit of jazz. It was. Well, no. It, it, we did you know some Bing Crosby. Crosby. Yeah. We did Nat King Cole. Oh, Nat King Cole. We were doing that Frank at uh, Juliana's mother's house. Nat King Cole's great. I really like Nat King Cole. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I got one of his records over there. Hmm. And Frank Sinatra's another good Christmas. Tried to do a little bit of uh, the Beach Boys Christmas. Okay. All right. But it wasn't the same as as being Crosby. I feel Is I it did. Crosby or Cosby? No, it's Crosby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can't share that last name. Good old Cos. Yeah. So well, that's good. No, yeah. but it was, it was good. What the day of? What did we do the day of? I don't know. All of it is a blur to me because it was so cold. Oh, it, it right. Was, it was one degree to nine degrees for it's like colder here than a week up there. Yeah, where I was. Well, because you're on the coast. Well, right? it's sort of more or less a couple hours, yeah. but it's supposed to be colder up there. It's not supposed to be this cold down here, right? I actually came home in my heat I'd run out I ran out of heat I'm really lucky I came home my house was 45 degrees what and that was when it was warming up so I don't know how how do you warm this place up anyway we have a, an oil furnace oh nice but I put five gallons of diesel fuel in it before I left as a supplement because I wasn't sure what I had left in there huh because I get a hundred gallon fill up okay when I get it mm-hmm. usually it lasts us a couple months but we were at the end of that couple months and I come back, you know, I put the five gallons in thinking, well, it should get through the days I'm not here. Right. Well, if it's two degrees, it's burning all night. Mm. And so I, I ran out. Wow. And I'm, nothing froze, nothing broke. But wow. I, I'm kind of lucky. And yeah. It, it probably got to be about 40 degrees in this house. Yeah, it was cold. It was cold. So, what? Christmas Day, it was also pretty cold. What did we do? We woke up very late. Actually, 
my little girl has been waking up very late in the winter. She sleeps in? She sleep yeah, she sleeps in. She's like a teenager. We call her a teenager actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose that's a blessing, right? Yeah, no. It's Is good. that good? Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Does she get moody if you wake her up? No, no. Okay. She's chipper all the time, but she uh she's waking up at, you know. Well, I don't want to say what time she's waking up. I don't want criticism from the internet. But she's getting up late. She's like a teenager. That's wild. Yeah. Huh. <coughs> Kids need their sleep. They get tired, you know. Yeah, but I, my, my thought is she's just hibernating. She's, she's just letting the rhythms of nature. She's aligning with the rhythms of nature. She's harmonizing. So, see, my brother's, my brother's two, three-year-old, supposedly is having a hard time sleeping, mm. and they, they've been, I guess, giving her microdoses of melatonin. Huh. Which is debatable about whether that's a good thing but I think it's because of screen time uh, TV's on a lot uh, which you don't have no so an S isn't no poisoned by screen time blue light disrupts your sleep cycle <clears throat> yeah she isn't seeing that at night um or really during the day she did start watching Dora the, the Explorer recently which is funny. Yeah, you know, kids during need the day some sort of they need stimulation, so yeah. they're not going to sit down and read War and Peace at two years old. No, but she's really funny because she reads tons of books all day. She's reading books, and she's started making literary she's references. Reading? Well, she brings the books to us, and we read them. Oh, for her. okay, okay. But well. she has them memorized. I'm saying, is she a genius? You know, like, <laughs> she's pretty smart. But she she memorizes all the pages. I mean, this is pretty common for little kids. Um, but she memorizes the pages, and then throughout her day, she mentions characters in her books in certain situations that she's encountering. So she's making these references. It's funny. She's bringing them into the world. Yeah, well, it's, she's like making literary references to her her little books. That's like, very Maxwell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out. Yeah, it's quite funny. That's, <laughs> you know, literary references ab- abound. Yeah. Well, speaking of Maxwell, I did get uh, the new Crete, Robert Graves, today. You did? Yeah. I'm on a, I'm, I'm living in fictional Crete right now. Because I've been reading Zorba the Greek, which takes place on Crete, and... There's a Patrick Lee Furmore book that I've been meaning to get to. This is a seasonal thing for you? You're just going no. into a new season? Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, actually it is. Yeah. I think it is like a new season of reading. I don't mean like winter. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I think it's definitely a new season of writers that I'm really interested in. Mm. I'm like, oh, there are these guys that were writing around this time, and they're very interesting. I read Patrick Lee Furmore actually in 2019 when I was holed up in Israel during COVID and I read his biography by Artemis Cooper and that was really good I, I really like his writing mm. and it's very atmospheric writing like you want to be in his in the presence of his, of his writing um, and he much like Robert Graves uh bailed on England after the war. For him, I think it was the First World War. Um, and then for Graves, I think it was the Second World War. 
But both of them were like, we're done. We're just going to go live in Greece now. And we're never returning if we don't have to. So they did that, and then they just wrote these beautiful pieces of literature. But okay, the, the reason I got on that actually was because I started re- reading Zorba the Greek uh, by Nikos Kazantzakis, and and that, I'm halfway through it, and it's just This, this is one of your favorite novels. So at the, it is. It really is. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, with I can't stop talking about. You told me to drop everything immediately. Yeah, I said drop I said, everything right, immediately. I'm running the bookstore. I'm not dropping anything, but um, because I can't, I can't do that. But <laughs> it's just like you know, so many people say, "What would Jesus do? What would Zorba do?" That's what you're. That's that's your. <clears throat> I'm thinking. I think so. And also, I think in certain ways. There isn't really a difference. I think the true version of events would be much more vital, hmm. vitalist. It's like if you could imagine a, a, a vitalist Jesus, unadulterated by a lot of the things we've put on onto him over the over the years, over the the centuries and sure. millennia. Uh, and if he was allowed to age a little bit, he he might be like this Zorba guy. It's just he was incredible. To age. Yeah. Well, because he had to die. Well, uh, yeah. Right. Th- and th- so th- now he's just permanently thirty-three. Thirty-three. Well, it's yeah. a hell of an age to be. Actually, no. But technically, he wouldn't be permanently thirty-three. He would just be young but eternal. And now he's two thousand, and you know. How kind of suspect that he died in his prime. I'm just saying. Well, you know, let's transition that a little bit. Since we we didn't we didn't get to do anything for Christmas, we want to do a sort of a holiday episode. Uh, we're here to do the uh, episode on Kwanzaa. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see if I can get you to spit that out. <laughs> no, we're, we're going to visit the Gospel of, of St. Matthew. Yeah. Uh, which is... <clears throat> I haven't read this in a while. Yeah. Reread it was joy. It's a joy to read. And we brought... We brought some... We're bringing some other texts into it. We're, I think we're going to end up talking about Matthew in relation to really what we read today. Yes. Because I think that that's more of the litter, you know, not the American. Yeah. This is the American sublime. We're looking at American literature. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Thoreau's essay on Captain John Brown. Yes. Which uh, you have some thoughts on. Well, as I'm, I'm sure we both do. Yeah. Well, I don't have very um, thought out thoughts. I have impressions, I, I yeah. would say. Because I only recently became acquainted with John Brown. You know? Yeah, like, and I actually haven't even gotten to read his, uh, the, well, the poem about him written by I don't know who, Stephen Vincent Benet. Yeah, we we were going to yeah. read it. We had and then we just time slipped away. Yeah, I don't know what happened. We're gonna get to it. We will. We're also gonna get to. Octavio Paz because we said we were gonna do that. I'll, I'll give it a, a full. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, there are a lot of things to get to. I, I really think we should go down Lex Friedman's list, though, first. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, Animal Farm? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, well, you just gave me the copy. I just gave you the copy. Because I have a first no, edition have. of that up there, and I said I don't need it anymore. Oh wait, that's the one you gave me. Was no, I gave you the every man. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's not a first. But I have a first edition up there. I got it at um, it's twenty bucks. I got it at Harry Harry Alter and Silva. Yeah. Well, before we get into but what yeah, we're getting into, right. what even was the deal with that Lex Friedman book list? Oh. Why was the internet in uproar? And they kind of still are because it was two days ago. I'll tell you, I can only tell you why I have a feeling about that that matches yours. Yeah. Which is of sort of an eye roll. Uh huh. The great digital eye roll. Because I'm tired of people with influence. Who don't? He doesn't even have charisma. This guy, he's kind of a dullard, you know. Yeah, I guess he's a successful engineer of some sort. Uh, but, but just to post a list like that, like, hey, it's like it's like Ben Shapiro reading all the King's Men or whatever, and being like, "Join me for nine ninety nine a month, and you can you too can read along with me." It's like, <laughs> dude, these are these are books that, if we were a serious country. Yeah, people would just be reading. They wouldn't. Wouldn't be. They wouldn't be following along it, it with the podcast. It wouldn't be an event. Wouldn't be an event. It wouldn't be like a look at look at this list of. Uh, and hey, they're good books. Yeah, right? and I've read yeah. eight of them. I think of what eighteen, yeah, sixteen, whatever. Yeah, I, know I, did, the, I didn't count, but I've purposefully not read. Uh, what is it? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe or whatever. I don't even... I'm not familiar with it. Yeah. But, <laughs> nice. But I haven't read Camus. I know Camus is on there. I the have plague. Camus. Yeah, I haven't yeah. read it. I, I probably should. Yeah, but, no, you know, Camus is good. There's only so much time. Right. But uh, it wasn't even that, you know, it's like, he hasn't read these books. No, I mean... Yeah, that's you know, not the point. That's not the point. It was more the point of, like, here's this guy sort of posing... As an intellectual influencer, is what you yes, said. Yes, exactly. And you're you're you're, you're like, we're going to read 1984. It's like, yeah, okay, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, I also saw it as a. Well, I saw the criticism as a manifestation of the humanities fighting back. Because for years, they've humanities programs, be it um, English, art, music, uh, any kinds of crafts programs, have been getting cut from the American education system. With intent, of course. Well, because they're deemed unuseful, right? Right. And uh, and they've instead been funding with quote-unquote, what little money they have. I mean, come on, we have all the money we want if we want it. We just print it. So the fact is they just don't really want to fund real education. But okay, so the 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 technological, quote-unquote, useful information is what's held up. Meanwhile, beauty, beauty and goodness and truth are cast to the wayside. And that's just been, you know, the cycle. But in the instance of Lex Friedman, who's kind of like this example uh, or a paragon of, like, tech influence or or STEM influence, he's kind of like a STEM influencer almost. And STEM is great. But uh, 
if you don't also have the humanities, you really have like a very tiny sliver of a picture of the world and the people in it. And so I saw the criticism of his list as like this kind of new literary elite, at least on Twitter and maybe Reddit, kind of like thumbing their noses at him. Like, really? You're 39 years old and you have to dedicate a year to rereading your middle school and high school reading list? (laughs) (laughs) Were they rereads? Well, that was what he said later. Oh, I'm rereading. I'm dedicating a week to read The Old Man in the Sea, which, as you know, is an that afternoon. That should take a day. And, yeah, and day and two, two coffees. Days, two days, yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. I actually didn't get through it. <laughs> you didn't? <laughs> I thought it was, I have a nice copy of it, though. I thought it was... I, I don't like I didn't like it. You didn't like it? Not right. really, but I did still buy a nice copy. I really like it. On principle. I read it out loud with a friend of mine, actually, over the course of two days. But, okay, then he has... The the brothers Karamazov in a week. It's doable if you live in the bathroom. <laughs> like Kai. like Kai, it's like locking his kid. He's up. like, let me tell you how to read War and Peace I, in two know, weeks. I read I read that not that fast, but I read it pretty quickly. It's a, it's so good. I read it in a month. Oh, uh, yeah, with your father. So. Well, Karamazov, no, this was much before I was... This, I did oh, you read this a long time ago. You didn't read 2015. it when, you didn't, when I read it. You didn't, that's right, you didn't read Karamazov? it. Karamazov? Yeah. No. I read it within the last year. Oh, nice. Uh, remember, it was, it was yeah. that, and yeah, it was Napoleon, that. which was, uh, you know, another 900-page ter- right. book. Reads like a novel, yeah. even though it's a history book. Well, there's criticism, and then there's criticism of the criticism. People are saying, oh, well... You guys just aren't letting people be beginners. Like, we don't allow anybody that's to be beginners point. anymore. And I think that's really missing the point. No, I think, I, again, if anybody told me, that I'm going to sit down and read these books, I would be, I would apply, I would say, yes. Yeah. You know, it's more about the fact that the people posing, At any age. posing in positions of sort of intellectual authority yeah. in this culture of ours are illiterate it, it's, it goes back to Ben Shapiro it's like really dude yeah I'm gonna read 1984 and you guys can read along it's like you're you're pretending to be again like Ben Shapiro yeah he's an idiot smart man mm-hmm. that's what people call him mm-hmm. and it's not that they're great people like him I'm not calling people I don't want to call anybody an idiot yeah. I'm not saying I'm, I'm you know whatever you know yeah. I, I'm not trying to but but if you if that's if that guy is who you think is, you know, leading your intellectual charge, I'm sorry. There's something you need to look, dig a little deeper. You know? Yeah. Or you're going to fall into a trap of uh, of owning the libs or whatever. You right. Know? And it's like own yourself. Totally. Don't. don't, don't yeah, man. Push yourself. If every, you, you got to own yourself. I read 1984 to own the libs. Well, George Orwell was a socialist, so I don't know. <laughs> you know what you. He was, you know, and right. yeah, he was a base socialist. And you want to know where the Patriot Patriot Act came from? It came from Republicans. That's right. So, uh, well, you know, we could go down that road and talk about how bad the Republican Party is, but we got to get to we got to get to Jesus John Brown. <laughs> <laughs> and John Brown. And 
I'm not even going to say the comparison I made to John Brown because it's not even close. <laughs> you know, you'll get you'll get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's the the effect. That exactly. Was no, that's what I'm saying. The effect, but we don't have murals. There's probably like a no John Brown murals. Well, they Ridge. probably did in the back in the day. They had no. John Brown eulogies. Dude, they hung this guy. The state hung this guy with the help of the media. Okay, the press. He was an enemy of the state. It's, that's a big difference. That's that's uh, the Union hung him. No, 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 no. Sorry, the South, the Confederate. Wasn't state. split yet. Wasn't really split. I mean, it was yeah because it was 1859. So like there wasn't this war wasn't. He was a catalyst, supposedly. So then, who was responsible for hanging him? What they state? hung him for insurrection? Mm. John Brown had his That's own ironic. January sixth. Okay. Yeah. No, it's really ironic. <laughs> it was a protest. <laughs> it's ironic though that the state, which is presumably ruled by the Union at the time. Or who, what would become the union kills the guy, and then fights the same state that kills him, who is fighting for basically what are quote unquote union morals. Uh, then goes and fights the South. Well, it was, the seceders. John Brown was ultimately the, the catalyst for the hard conversation mm-hmm. on a next on the next level. <clears throat> The conversation was already being had. Yeah, they called it. I think the row called it the the is it something questioned. Is it, I don't know if it was the Negro question or yeah. I don't know what they called it, but it was the question. You know, it's always the question. Like we right. we have to talk about this, right? And um, John Brown said, "Oh, I'll talk about it." You know, and yeah. uh, a little background on John Brown, born in Connecticut. You know, for people who aren't familiar, he was born in Connecticut, I believe, and was a farmer. Not one year. I don't have the year on the top of my head, uh, but he wasn't. Ex- I think he died when he was forty-five. So if you can subtract whatever year it was from that, you can get the, the number of when he was born, or you can look it up. But he was born May ninth, eighteen hundred. Eighteen hundred. Okay. Yeah. And he for so if he was sixty, right? When he when he. Yeah, so 59. Led the charge with his 17, nine, I believe. <coughs> He's a handsome fellow. Look handsome fellow, skinny guy. Uh, you know, but he was from Connecticut. He was a Regal. farmer. Regal. One of the things Thoreau says about him in the essay, he wasn't, he wasn't a, you know, a Harvard literary man, you know, a stuffy uh, college boy. Right. He was a, sort of a guy who just... He, so he got multiple degrees in the West. That's yeah. What, that's what Thoreau says. Right, right. So you have this guy who's really a common man. Yeah. And I think that that actually matters. Because it gets into the politics of, you know, champagne politic, po- po- politics, mm-hmm. as I stutter there. But, the you know, today you have sort of the, you ever, you ever heard the term champagne liberalism? No. Or arm, armchair sounds, liberalism? Yeah. Have you heard that? Yes. People who... I've heard of armchair generals. Armchair generals? Yeah, yeah. it's probably the same idea, yeah, right? Yeah, what yeah. is that? It's just somebody who's really into war lit, and they just comment from their armchair on things they have really no stake in and no power to Mm. sway. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's the same idea. It could be a champagne general. A champagne general is somebody... But a champagne general is different, a little different than an armchair general or liberal or conservative, whatever. Yeah. Because a champagne... 
let's say a champagne socialist, which is a term that sort of that's hilarious. Orwell talked about a yeah. lot. He said these people. You have to really watch out for these people because they have no desire to share mannerisms or break bread with the people they claim to be advocating for. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the case, you know, today, most of the people who we would call liberal in their views are champagne liberals. Yeah. I would say. I mean, most of the people I know who are really devoted to the ideology of liberalism are upper middle class, yeah. at least. At least. It's usually high education, high degrees, high income. Yeah, making uh, making penance for their success. Yeah, it's a sort of atonement, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a, I feel bad that I've done well, so I gotta... And, and there's... Flagellate myself. There's a lot of that. But I think what makes John Brown interesting is he, he just wasn't that... Uh, he wasn't a caricature of his beliefs. Mm-hmm. He was. He really had no real reason to do what he did, other than he he had a faith in God and he had a f- belief in his conscience mm-hmm. and natural law. Yeah, uh, he was. He was. Well, I'm sure his basic education was far superior to most college educations these days. Have you seen the? requirements to get an eighth grade education back in the mid 1800s it's pretty oh i'm sure i'm sure but still arduous you still have to but but it's all proportionate yeah well i'm gonna find one of these things and show them to you i'm not saying it's proportionate (laughs) to today like oh kids are i'm saying it's he was still for his time he wasn't of a class where he had a vested interest yeah well Uh, thoreau says he would have probably, you know, misstressed his Greek, which the yeah the the Harvard guys and the Yale the, the Harvard and, and Yale gentlemen would never misstress their right. their Greek or Latin, and that was more important to them, right? I mean, that's right. What's the equivalent today of you know these the idealistic twenty year old college student? Instead of Greek, it's you would never misgender. <laughs> Sure, <laughs> that's could that's be that, the, or it could be like you know knowing the the ins and outs and facets of corporate culture, or something definitely like that. that. That's yeah. definitely part of it. Yeah, how to navigate the HR department. Yes, exactly. Yeah, like, that's, oh, you did not sign on or off your email correctly, and you love capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> this is what <laughs> what has happened to our society. So, uh, but to continue with John Brown, I always love this essay. Mm. I don't know. I reread it today. I don't know that I still love it. Mm. I don't know what that is. What changes happened? But I think I still agree with the sentiment in it that a man has to follow his, his conscience. He has to trust that the conscience is divine and follow it. Mm-hmm. More than a law, even if it leads you to the rope. Mm-hmm. And uh, because all of the greatest virtues come out, even if John Brown was deemed a madman, he still demonstrated courage. Uh, and obviously, uh, against ad- in the face of adversity, which was, he had no other end other than Basically, death by cop, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, I I think that um, no, he was an, a noble, a nobleman, true true nobility, uh, true true kingly virtue displayed in his character, his actions. But you you said to me you think that Thoreau sort of blows him up a little, over magnifies him. <clears throat> what is that impression? Is it just is it because of Thoreau's writing? Yeah. Well, I got the sense that all these comparisons with the the greatest, most uh, mythologically important characters in recent Western history, you know, going back to Christ and a little bit before, um, I thought that was a bit much. <laughs> like this guy. Even, <clears throat> excuse me. Even though he is um, situated at the beginning of a of a historical cycle, um, I don't know if I would say that he's as foundational uh, as, say, Jesus or Agricola or. Um, well, you know, you, you or a number of these other characters. Even says uh, John, John, uh, George Washington and Franklin don't really live up to even John Brown. Yeah, this is wacko. You think that's wacko? Yeah, because you're a fan of great man history. Yeah, I love that. Which it, does John Brown qualify as a great man to you? Is he is he make it to that caliber? I would say yes. I think I think yes because of what I said before. What do you think? Well, putting you on the spot. I I just don't think, and maybe this is because his story has been has been buried, uh, to where like we don't have all these connections reverberating th- through the historical web that make us be like, oh yeah, that's connected to John Brown. That's connected, like all these different things and different categories of of history being connected back to this one character. Even though they may really be connected, it's just that because he hasn't been uh, memed into consciousness that we're, we're kind of like he, in the dark to how connected we are to him. This is assuming that he is actually as important as Thoreau is trying to say he is. I think... Um, it's not that he's important, though. No, it's, it's that his actions. the call of his soul, or the, the fact that his, his action actually, as Thoreau puts it, saves part of his soul. Well, I think Thoreau, in a way, kind of has blood on his hands. Because, and anyone else who, like, went insane to make this a, a massive meme that would then divide the country. Like, uh, there are other ways to have solved the problem than to try to basically commit national suicide by cutting yourself in half. Like, I, and that's why I think it was kind of overblown. Like, to create all this propaganda, to have multiple essays on John Brown, I think he has three essays, and one, two essays and one eulogy, Dedicated to John Brown, and it's all about like this basically abolitionist stuff, which I think was correct. I Thomas Jefferson talks about it um, when he's reflecting on the Declaration of Independence and how 
that was part of the original idea for even separating from England is we want to abolish slavery here. We've been trying to. We've been trying to set up tariffs, and um, of course, it was there were some complications that uh, came into play that you know would take us too far afield to use the language of our our old mm-hmm. English compatriots. But um, I I think that they're really like they're setting John Brown up these authors Thoreau in particular as a he's like a lightning rod they're like crafting a lightning rod in order to generate a conflict now do you think to that, achieve a, an ulterior motive but do you think that they're doing that or that they're reacting to what the society was not able to really produce otherwise you know you see a great man come along who's who's acting on a virtuous call and it's it's this happens through the history yeah people respond to uh noble and greatness when it shines through sort of like a diamond and you know and people respond to that now there was the the moral question at stake about abolition and slavery of course and there's also the question of whether or not you know the methods you're talking about is would sound more incremental when people's lives are at stake, do you really have any more time to waste other than to... to you you know, sound like Thoreau right now, though. Well, I'm big... Uh, you know, I agree mostly with yeah. this essay. Yeah. I don't agree that he was somehow a greater man than George Washington or yeah. or Ben Franklin. Just, you know, I think that he w- had a very strong conscience that he... Again, like like Aquinas, you know, yeah. the the idea of the natural law, uh-huh. it sort of surpasses reason, yet it tangles reason. And right. I think that the you know he just separated himself from the an unjust government, which most Americans can no longer do. Mm-hmm. You know, we we live under an unjust government. Right. Most people cannot break a law. Right. Most people, most people who... Which is why they always need every single thing they do to be enshrined in law. That's right. It, it's... it's um, they would violate every... And they are violating every commandment on the tablet. Mm-hmm. You know, if the law told them to do so. Mm-hmm. And it is telling them. At this point, the, the United right. States legal system is telling us to violate, Yeah, you know, our original sort of framework. Yeah. And people do it. And they do it because... Because that's sort of seen as God. And right. John Brown said, that's not God. Right. These people we elect and vote for are a waste of time. Yeah. You know, they're not representing anything other than it's the same story as now. They're not they're representing themselves, they're building their resumes, they're patting their pockets. Mm-hmm. And he said, Enough. I don't care I, I don't even care. Yeah. I don't even care. I have a rifle. <laughs> you know. <laughs> that was <laughs> That was uh, that was his, his ideology. It was like yeah. I have a rifle and I have bullets. Yeah, and there's a problem. Right. There's something noble about that. I'm gonna fix this hole in the road. Yeah, I have a shovel. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Right. There's so there is something about that, and it's it wasn't overly intellectual. He didn't consult, you know, the the literary department at Harvard before he did. That. He was just, you know, I've seen this intersection of the road here. <laughs> Is it bad? And it has these two holes in it. <laughs> and the other night, I'm driving by it, and I'm like, 
man, I just want to fill these damn holes. Yeah, why don't we do? We should, right? I, I complain about and littering. I, and, I, and I'm like, <laughs> but if I did that, well, I'd have to do it probably in the middle of the night. But then I'd have to be worrying about, you know, the police driving by. And then I might be breaking some law just then, to fix the hole in the road. Then, right? Let's just say you fix the hole, but somebody crashes for some reason in that spot. Right, yeah, and then now you're liable. Now you're liable because we're a system of usury. And, uh, it just extraction. gets crazy. But it was funny to me, the whole chain of reasoning that popped into my mind when I considered, what if I fixed that hole? You know? Well, there's all these frameworks And it's the same thing with John Brown. He's mm-hmm. like, what if I stop well, you know, this thing that's going on? People will, you know, if there's a water bottle on the, on the ground near the sidewalk. Yeah. N- uh, 19 out of 20 will step over it. Yeah. You know, even though there's a trash can right there. And hey, it makes sense because I live in a society to pick up the. This is why I really don't believe. This is really why socialism in a traditional sense can't work other than at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. Because most people won't just pick that up, put it right. in the trash can. I know this sounds really simplified, but if you just break this down in terms of. Look, if we all just do our part and yeah. participate, and we break bread, and you know, uh, you know we'll, well, so we'll have the society we want. That's why yeah. I think it has to have sort of a Christian framework or mm-hmm. or, a, or a spiritual framework to it that says it cuts out the government and the obligation of the job market, and it says, "Well, I'm going to pick up the water bottle because I live amongst my brethren." You know? Right, right. I live, in a neighborhood, in a community, and I, yeah. I don't want to sabotage that because you know my gospel says to treat my brothers. Right. If you take that away, you've just got well, it's someone else's job. Right. To pick up the water bottle, it's not my job. Right, and, and it's I their job because they job. get paid for it. That's exactly. right. Yeah, and I don't want, and that's you know. So the only things that should be done are things that in which there is a pecuniary exchange, mm-hmm. a monetary exchange. <clears throat> And, but, you know, Brown cut that out. He cut out the whole thing. He cut out the and whole... And then he paid for it. And he paid for it, but he didn't care. Yeah. Supposedly, he didn't care. He was just like, whatever. Hang me. <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> There's something stoic. Something stoic about that, too. I mean... Yeah, I guess. But you're hung up on the question of the war, I think. Because, what do you mean? Well, there's an argument to be made. Well, you know, a lot of people, a lot of Americans died in this war. And it could have been avoided with the cotton gin. And with, well, yeah, you know, I, with, <clears throat> yeah I, I understand the war on a few levels. On the one hand, I say to myself, well, it could have been avoided if they did X, Y, Z. But on the other hand, when I look at it more esoterically... It just looks absolutely inevitable. And I think, actually, most wars are inevitable. They happen because there's, you know, tension in the wheel of history, and it needs to be relieved somehow. And the only relief is not always warfare. There are other kinds of relief for historical tension. But um, for this kind, maybe war was... Or this kind in this portion of the wheel, that's the primary way that you're going to have to relieve tension. I think now the, the way that we relieve tension 
in this portion of history is with art, with great works of art. That's what allows people to... You say this portion, do you mean now? Yeah, now. Like this next cycle. Because 1860 was 160 years ago. 162 years ago. Because now we're in 2020. So that's two 80-year conflict cycles. Or maybe you could even call them narrative cycles. And... um, what, 1780 to, to 1860 was its own narrative cycle, and that was uh, the end of the Revolutionary War. Hmm. So, um, and also, well, that little portion of time, though, uh, from 1780 for almost like nine years was when they're establishing all the, well, the, the new constitution and um, charters for the states and so uh, you know that's kind of the transition into the new wheel um, and then f- from 1860 to 1940 well how do you get into the, the new narrative cycle from 1940 to 2020 well you have a war right? it's kind of like the birth of the new narrative cycle happens through a war and we kind of have had that now, um, but it's been kind of like a bloodless revolution. We've talked about this a little bit. Um, and I think the, the resolution will be much more because of some kind of overwhelmingly beautiful art that affects everyone then it will be like one side gets completely demolished it'll be a in meme. kinetic warfare yeah i think that it'll <laughs> no i really do i think it'll be either a meme or or like a sentiment a, a mimetic sentiment that everybody embraces where they're like that's the answer like that's what we want because also i think people are tired of this 160 years of of racial and social conflict like mm. what is this just supposed to be eternally how we exist right where we're always consumed with these questions um and we're trying to we're like slaving over the idea of of equity like there has to be a point where one we come to some kind of understanding and two we move on and, and then we can have peace and start, you know, being creative again rather than destructive and resentful and uh, proud, maybe. But um, yeah, I think I think the time is coming, and maybe it's even here now, where we begin to move on from these two previous historical cycles. What does that mean for the virtues of of man? What do you mean? What does that mean? You know, if, if you think about... Like, oh, he, he say, won't have to worry about fighting for well, egalitarianism yeah, anymore? Well, there's that, but let's just say, you know, let's just let's just go with Thoreau on this and say, yeah. you know, his virtues are... John Brown's actions. Mm-hmm. He's certainly not a Christ figure, but let's just say his actions are compared to uh, a, Christ, a, a Christ intervention. Yeah. <clears throat> 
can can we really have you know those types of people come into existence or really shine through in the new cycle? Is it possible? Well, I don't think we need them. You won't need them. So what will what will man's virtue look like? What will what will that virtue? Well, I think the virtuous man will be the one who can be is, is sucking the marrow out of life. Oh, he's he's is just pursuing beauty like a bloodhound. Don't you think a lot of people are doing that? No, you know, uh, only uh, a few who think they're doing it. Though, I mean, think about all these influencers who are living on the road and. You know, no, but they're they're doing it for the grand. For, they're not doing it for itself. But how can you do it for yourself? You're not monetizing it, and this is the problem. Well, there's gonna there's gonna be a way that people figure out how to do We've it. We've monetized <coughs> everything to the point where it's not even enjoyable anymore. Yeah, nothing. None of this is even enjoyable anymore. And I think that's really where people are right now. Well, I just finished reading. Turn on, tune in, drop out. By Timothy Leary, okay, which we might consider doing an episode on one, of, the, one of these days. Is it a novel? What is it? No, it's a collection of essays. Okay, it's quick. It's like 130 pages. I can do that. It's pretty based. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah, he he's telling people that they need to drop out. They need to start their own religion. <laughs> they need to we, we need to live in tribes of less than 360 people you really believe that though start the start your own religion do you really um or is that sort of tongue in cheek a little bit uh it would take a while to get into but I do think that in a way people need to come up with their own they need to really think through what they believe and so, they need to write it down. And it doesn't necessarily mean... Like, because a lot of the time we think, well, if I started a religion, that would mean that I thought that everyone should believe that way. And that's a very universalist view of what it means to be religious. But there could be a kind of, like, populist idea of religion in which you practiced in your own way and you, you really thought it out and you wrote it down, at least for yourself and maybe for your close friends and you're like this is the way that I do things and also in a way that's already what everybody is doing anyway mm. everybody is practicing their own variation of like larger patterns like oh there's a pattern of well there are many patterns uh, to be a Buddhist many patterns to be a Taoist many patterns to be a, a Muslim many patterns to be a Christian or a Jew like there or a Protestant like there are so many ways that you can do things or to be a, a neo-pagan endless ways and everybody is picking and choosing they're like well I have time for this or I resonate with that or whatever um, but I don't know if a lot of people write it down Timothy Leary is saying at minimum he, he's being provocative in a way I think and partially very serious by saying uh, yeah you need to drop out and start your own religion what, is it, what does drop out mean? just drop out of what? the institutions? you know the things that he, are- he calls it the, the the TV set okay yeah you need to drop out of the the billboard out of the the American TV show that you woke up into yeah 
and programming. That, that yeah, the programming. He talks a lot about programming. Well, that's what there's a reason they call television programming. I mean, yeah, you know, and well, it's interesting because the way that he wrote is almost more relevant to now than it was then, because now every single person has their own TV show. They're, they're filming themselves right. every day. They're making their little videos. They're putting, you know, and you have your stories. It's, your, it's basically your TV show is your Instagram stories or your Snapchat or whatever, TikTok. Um, but Timothy Leary is saying, you need to drop out of that. Like, you do. Turn on to the reality of the world. Uh, what is he? Turn on, tune in. But I think you, you need to make enough money first. This is the problem. Well, <coughs> we're yes. stuck. You're stuck. In a way. In a way. And yeah, like, there is an, another part of it where if you look at the 60s, like, a lot of the communes did not work. And there are probably a number of reasons for why they didn't. Because they were lazy, probably. You have to actually work when you uh, have a commune. Perhaps. You get your hands in the dirt. It's yeah, well, you definitely have to do that. But... You know, a lot of them became like, I don't know. They're trying to reinvent every single social structure. And actually, Timothy Leary does not advocate that because he believes in ancient wisdom. Because he's, so he's not because he's not an idiot. Religion. Uh, he's, he's well. Okay, so one of the reasons why he says that you need to start your own religion is because he thinks part of turning on is you need to take a sacrament and. Odds are the sacrament that you're going to take is probably going to be some kind of psychedelic. And so what you need to do is you Ken need... Ken Yeah, so you need to create your religion and then you take it uh, to, the, to the, the lo- your local judge and you get them to verify that your religion is a valid legal mm-hmm. religion and that you know whatever psychedelic substance is your sacrament and that your house is your temple and you're a priest in the temple of your religion and therefore you you won't be violated uh, for exploring consciousness which is what he thinks man really needs to do he compares things like LSD to the atom bomb he's like at the same, he says, at the same time that we, within, I think, the exact same six weeks of the discovery of of making the atom bomb work, they discovered LSD. And so he thinks that they're related. That one is meant to demolish mankind, and the other one is meant to allow mankind to become so peaceful and aware that he'll never demolish himself. So it's kind of like the antithesis. That's an interesting thought. Um, and so he he really thinks like everybody needs to turn on, tune in, and then drop out of the TV show and live differently with a different set of values. It's an interesting book. We can do an episode. Well, yeah, on we'll it. have to we'll have to jump but, into that. Uh, why did we get into that? Because I asked. I, I know it goes back to me asking. You know what. What virtue will man oh, have going forward if, yeah. if not to answer these great questions? Well, I think it's the virtue when you don't have these battles to fight anymore. What do you devote yourself to? What is the heroic thing to do? I think it's to amazing feats of art 
amazing feats of. Has there ever been a point in history where this is the case? Yes. In some other cycle, what would you say the Renaissance? So, but but yeah, the Renaissance, the Enlightenment. So the Enlightenment. But you're you're not. So if you go from 1700 until. 1860. <laughs> no, 1700 to 1780 actually was a cycle of immense art creation, and a lot of a lot of the architecture and the art from that period is still with us. Now, how do you do it when it seems to me as if civilization has has become hostile to beauty? Yeah. So how how does that work? You have to you now. Now you have forces not only antagonizing the idea, but antagonizing the people who seem to want to bring forth the ideas. Well, one of those things. So everything's monetary, right? Everything, you know. Everything. There are so many people who are going to be, who should be contributing to the thing that you're talking about, who won't because they're locked into debt. And they're locked into, and they just get stuck in a job, and they're they're making money, and they're going well. You know, I guess this is all there is because this is the culture I live in. Well, I, th- it's it has to be a revolutionary act. So let me just finish this yeah, point. Go the new revol- the John Brown action. Yeah, for modern man's for modern man is to not abolish slavery. Yeah, but it's ultimately to abolish the anti-beauty regime. Mm. Good luck, which is what I say to that. It's going to be the same mountain, but now it's a technological mountain to climb. Well, the consciousness of man is the thing that changes. You have all these consciousness revolutions all the time. Um, they're very consistent. You know, on cyclical versions of history, which I very much subscribe to. Yeah, I know. They happen like clockwork. Mm. And they happen every 80 years, but then every four of them, or every three, after every three, there's a fourth in which the cycle, the entire cycle is a consciousness revolution. Fourth turning? Yeah, it's related to that. <laughs> but that's what we're, we're actually entering right now is... okay. An entire cycle of consciousness revolution. But it's still going to require those virtues to fulfill it. Well, I think... The courage, the yeah. ability to be a man of animosity. Well, the, the whole problem of AI and the technological society, like, and it just feeling like there's no way out, is exactly the kind of dirt that you would expect to be the seed of consciousness to be in before exploding out in the way that it should explode out in a conscious, in a awakening cycle. So, um, I mean, when you look at history, there, you just cannot stop the wheel. It doesn't matter what the case is on the ground. Like, now, could you see that? That I'm going to keep tying it back to yeah. this and then trying to drift us into Gospel of Matthew because we read it, but... John Brown's actions and sort of the the renaissance of writing, the transcendentalist movement, yeah, is an explosion of that consciousness. Exactly for that that's, time. That's seventeen hundred to seventeen eighty. And you said it yourself, the Civil War wasn't really avoidable because of where it stood in the cycle. Exactly. So, isn't there some contradiction at work there to say it's not necessarily entirely necessary to repeat myself twice in one sentence that 
John Brown had to do what he did and, you know, be used as propaganda to propagandize what was to come. But well, it is ne- it was this it was it was an inevitable the way you view history through the cycles and the seasons. Yeah. It's an inevitable thing. So it's just about what right. the catalyst is going to be. Well, he was a catalyst. He was sure. a catalyst. Exactly. But if it wasn't, him, happened, it would have been something else. Right. You could have picked anything and to to be your catalyst. And of course, you would expect on the 80-year cycle that the the conflict is going to start, you know, in 1860 and when does his death happen 1859 Mm. so it's right on schedule so isn't it isn't it a good thing to have your catalyst be driven by the virtues uh, of not even just reason but again uh, sort of divine conscience yeah, that one's well. That's complicated. <laughs> well, I'm just. This is yeah. just an a- episode of me yeah. questioning you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was well, like, you know I, what I'm going to do today? I'm just going to question Manasseh and make him talk. <laughs> well, I think that on the one hand, these virtues are right, but uh, well, on one level, right, these virtues are right, but on another level, maybe a higher level, they. Well, how did the problem show up in the first place? Okay, the That's, problem showed up right. because because people said, "Well, we need to figure out how to make the most money with the least amount of personal effort." Uh, oh, the original problem. Yeah, the original problem. Oh, so then they commit this sin where they're trying to get like the cheapest, most non-attached, most expendable labor they possibly can. And so they create the slavery problem. But not even really a sin if you filter this through Aristotle's lens. Right. Depending on how you... So then, well, I mean, it is a sin, right? It's, like, it's, it's America's great sin. As, well, as if, you're, if, you're, agree, but, if you're stealing people, which we have to remember, their own tribal leaders yes. and kings sold them off. Right, and so like we got to remember that sin. There's sin all around. Um, hey, I'm not making the argument. I'm saying yeah. philosophically speaking, I think it was an Arist- you know, yeah. it was Aristotle's philosophy at work, and the 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 actions of say John Brown or our Platonic intervention. Yeah, because it's now about the men's souls being on the line. <laughs> true, true. Um, well, there are three levels, I think. Okay. One is the the problem for, well, the historical reason for slavery even happening, which was driven by capital. I hate even saying it like that. but No, it's the correct. It, it is true. They're trying to figure out, well, how can we make as much money as possible from tobacco and cotton and other, other things? So the... The capital uh, issue creates the slavery problem. The slavery problem fits in... To fight the slavery problem, you appeal to your religious paradigm, which is Christian, which is very egalitarian. However, the egalitarianism can become its own monster, which is the next level. And so uh, it's just it just becomes very complicated sure um 
Aristotle was not an egalitarian. No, he was not, which is, you know... Yeah. And I think he was right in that, like, not everybody uh, is the same in every category that they exist within. So, you know, you may have person A and person B, and person B is superior in one category to person A, whereas person A is superior or inferior per person B in another category. So, like, there are all these overlapping superior, what we can call superiorities and inferiorities. It's, it's Acknowledging that is, you know, that there are inherent differences, but man to man. Yeah. It's not really the same as, you know, suggesting, hey, through inferiority and conquest, yeah. we can subjugate entire peoples. Right. I recognize that not all men are truly equal in ability. Sure. I cannot dunk a basketball. Yeah. I'm not demanding that I should be able to. Right. I don't just, lower the hoop for me. Don't lower the hoop for me. I just know that about myself. Yeah. Uh, of course. I suspect you can't either. No, I can't. Uh, <laughs> you might be a little taller than me, but you're not you're not no, you're I'm not, not I mean, dunking balls. No, I'm not jumping. You know what I understand that about myself. Yeah. I don't demand the bar lower for me, but I also don't want to be subjugated by someone who can dunk a ball. Right. Which is, you know, kind of ironic that that's almost where we kind of are at because we are being subjugated by people who really aren't our superiors at all. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to go into, you know, modern society, but we're really not subjugated by people who are even great. So now you have... Well, you're influenced by Lex Friedman reading lists. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, and those are, the, you know, that's miles ahead of even the people I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, I don't think people in government really engage our culture at all. Right. You right. know, or in... Or in uh, I could be wrong, but, you know, these people who own sports teams, these people who play sports, these people who are acting in movies. I mean, do they even engage their own film history? Do they even, are they even, or are they just sort of making a mockery of every, of all of our traditions? But... Well, we live in an age of of quantity instead of quality. But to, to, that's true. Abundance is everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the point I was trying to make is, uh, I'm losing my train of thought there. The original, the original thought. Oh, um, it's it's right there. I got it. I got it. I got it. It was, it was back. You know, back to oh, not being, not being uh, ruled by your superiors. Yeah, there's a difference between understanding that you know egalitarianism is not perfect, and equity is certainly a dangerous sword to to wield. But at the same time, respecting enough of the common commonality of humanity to not believe in subjugation by especially by force you know even in thomas More's utopia it's his protagonist raphael hitladay i think is his name they go to the you know the utopia the island of utopia mm-hmm. there's a there is an element of slavery there and mm-hmm. this is the utopia and it's anti-beauty um, what's that? The utopia. They all have to paint their houses the same color. In in uh, well, yeah, it's it's questionable, right? right. Have you read it? I've skimmed it. Skimmed it. But there is slavery, but it's it's set up in a way that's uh, 
you know, these are captured people from sort of they're in bondage from uh, you know wars that they were engaged yeah. in, and once they do whatever the agreed upon time is, they're they're liberated. I think to live amongst them, uh-huh. uh, you know. But it wasn't the original. Even if you believe that, yeah. which I don't think any modern man really does, right? Although we practice it in some ways, you know, with like Guantanamo Bay or yeah. whatever, we we capture people in war. We don't enslave them to do labor, but we keep them in prison cells, which right. maybe is even worse. Just to lock someone up and not produce, right? Uh, debatable, you know. But um, to conclude the thought. Someone like John Brown pushes the the question from, well, is this is this going to end, or is there, uh, you know, there are freed slaves, people who've done their time, or just kind slave owners, I guess you could say, <laughs> the merciful. But it pushes it to the next level, not in, necessarily in an egalitarian sense, but just it re it forces the societies in. To go all the way back yeah. and discuss the original questions right? again. It's not even about equity, really. Yeah. He's not saying an equitable society. He's right. not, he's not saying, I'm talking about lowering the hoop, even. He's just saying, look, you can't keep men in bondage. Right. Um, I, you know, I, I keep, I'm really spacing, <laughs> spacing out. But I'm going to, you know, it, it's... Uh, go to Matthew. Go to Matthew. Yeah, because, I mean, okay, perfect. Christ, Matthew. The gospel. Matthew, let's it go to the Beatitudes. It answers the same questions. It answers the same questions. I mean, Christ is the ultimate liberator. There really right. is some truth to, you know, it's a very distorted view, and it's very cherry-picked, and people... This is what I want to say about John Brown, and I will also say the same about Christ, and I will agree with Thoreau to a point about sort of men like this, or women. There are women like this, too. You could reach into history, you could try and grab Emma Goldman, or you could and say, well, she would be on my team. Right. People do with John Brown what they do with Christ, politically. Mm. If you were to poll... Anybody who's aware of who John Brown was, what he stood for, people from the whole political spectrum, except for maybe the really, like, like the Nazi right. <laughs> right. But if you were to pull people on the right and the left, like the common right and left, they would do what they do with Christ. They would try and pull him for themselves, the, into their tribe. It's like Dr. King. They right. try and... Everybody tries to claim ownership over him. True. He's, he's my guy. He's, but he now, be, now people are dismissing him. Ah, but you know right. what I mean. Most yeah, people no, are know. like, he's on my. He would be on my team if he were alive today. Mm-hmm. John Brown's one of those figures, and that right. does sort of set him apart. I don't really know if people do that with George Washington or Ben Franklin, which is why they're greater. Because you yeah, can't. They, they, just, they're outside of that. They're, but they're, exactly. But people do that with Christ, and I don't think George Washington was greater than Christ. People no. do that with Christ, especially the progressive left. Well, he, you know, he didn't. Yeah, that's why you have. He told you to love your neighbor. Instagram like, account woke Jesus. Well, Jesus, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he, you know, he told you to love your neighbor. Yeah, it's a righteous love. It doesn't right. mean to love everything you do. It's not a globalist love, by the way, because how is somebody you've never met, never seen, you have really no 
true interactive connection with how are they your neighbor they're not they're not your neighbor is literally up the road you know you can see their house mm-hmm. right but my point being yeah the parallel as we head into the gospel Matthew, yeah, yeah, yeah. really is that people try and reach in I mean, obviously, the right tries to claim Christ like every right. day, the, right. which again is kind of laughable to me. But to see the progressive left just or progressives do it too is funny. Yeah. They just go, "Well, he was—he said peace." It's like, yeah, he said he said he was coming with a sword, though. True. <laughs> you know, it's like, you're missing the other part. You know, it's not—it's not a peace like, hey, you know, stop. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, he anyway, Matthew. I think that okay because Matthew is. Well, one of the longer Gospels. Um, well, I don't know what you you had prepared with. I just read it. it. But maybe the Beatitudes would be good, which is uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Hmm. Yes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah, blessed are, blessed are, yeah. You want to just read that? Yeah, right from 1 through 12? Yeah. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. The Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. You know, obvious, you know. I assume most people who are listening to this are going to be familiar with. To a point. Yeah, this is what we're going to title the, the broadcast. <laughs> sermon on the Mount. John Brown feet the Sermon on the Mount. John Brown's sermon. <laughs> yeah, John Brown X the Sermon on the Mount. There was something, you know, there was really, there was something in the... In that book, uh, in the essay on John Brown, that he said, yeah, and is quoted, and I was trying to. Find oh, at the it. end? No, not even at the end. He just said, "Let it be known, you know that." Uh, it's just something so hard. <laughs> he just said it, and Thoreau quoted it, and you're like, "That is." This was after he was captured, and yeah. his sons had been shot, and one of them oh was my dead. Gosh, yeah, yeah. He was just like, "Let it be known." You know, it's yeah. like a punisher. Like, yeah. You know, just like... Yeah. I did what I had to do, you know? <laughs> it's so funny. And you're thinking it's a skinny farmer from Connecticut. You know? Right. But anyway, uh, here we go. He went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For, that's that's a big one. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Actually, yeah, this is maybe the most pertinent element of what we're discussing, because, you know, as I just pointed at you, for righteousness sake right and again it goes it goes back to what John we discussed Brown. earlier well it's it, it goes back to whether or not it was a righteous action there's no question that it was microcosmically righteous like 
for his sphere of what he was in. Of course, it was. Righteous. I think what you're thinking, but of. I, I just don't know. It, it almost seems more like a, a an action of protest than something that he thought would really work. Was, Did he really think like he was no. going to end? Yeah, so he he was protesting. He basically. was forcing the question, and right. sometimes that's the most important thing you can do. You know, no one's listening. It's like you know, you're so yeah. you you enter a room, no one will listen. So, yeah, you know, you see the guy like shooting to the ceiling. Like, yeah. I'll make you. That's equivalent. He's, and you know, that's not a righteous thing to do. But to force such a big question, you know, four million people in bondage. Yeah, on a continent, and more coming. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. If that's not a righteous action, I don't really know what is righteous in gospel in the gospel. In, in the gospel, oh, for sense. sure. I'm sure this is exactly what he was thinking about. Yeah, you know, Thoreau was a man of. Well, I don't think he was a religious man particularly, but he was, of course, well. well I'm talking read about man. John Brown. No, but when he wrote this, he was obviously familiar with. Oh, of course. You know his gospels. Yeah, but I think John Brown was thinking of this. He was thinking, "What is the righteous action?" Yeah, to be righteous is to inherit the kingdom of God, and that's what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. But what what is what does righteousness uh, look like? We live in this society again. Yeah. You know, of of uh, I'm going to do the righteous thing. I'm going to vote today. Right. Vote harder. Right. And there are some people who are saying, yeah, it doesn't work, you know. The way that people try and claim John Brown, I know that a lot of uh, anti-fascists and people on the left, you know, they have John Brown Gun Club. There's a lot of, those are like pro-2A or pro-gun left-wing organizations. I don't know if you're familiar with it. No. With the name. But then there's also... Named after John Brown. Named after John Brown, oh yeah. God. John Brown is a, is a, is definitely an iconic figure. Yeah. To left-wing circles, to anarchic Really? Circles. Yeah, for sure. But people also do this, and I want this is going to maybe lead us to a big part of big topic, but people also invoke his name in the pro-life movement. Interesting. And there was, you know, through the 90s and early 2000s, there was a very militant pro-life you know, bombings to really. Oh, oh there gosh. was. I mean, doctors were shot and killed. There was wow. actually in Kansas is the most famous killing of an abortion doctor. Wow, Kansas, and home of about, John Brown. So he was invoked uh, because a lot of people who and are, this was organic. This wasn't like what? No, no, no. The guy <laughs> walked into the guy's church and just executed him. I forget. Oh he was gosh. the most famous abortion doctor. Uh, Performer, a doc, doctor yeah. uh, in the country. Wow, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but I know people are going to know. Anyway, so you know, and they were citing John Brown. Well, no, people people have, um, you know, so the left will claim John Brown because abolition of you know got liberation it. for you know black people and but then the right will also claim John liberation Brown. of the unborn, oh. and so you have this interpretation lens going on here mm-hmm. and I guess we have to ask that question you know it's funny to look at it in history and say it was righteous you're right are we going to look in a hundred years is society going to look in a hundred years at it you know the execution of abortionists yeah. as righteous I mean I doubt it but I or are know. they going to have the same Hard sort of know. like Ugh. it's complicated 
No, you know, there's the whole argument of depends on who wins. <laughs> right, it does. It does, but it, it, it's it's also a you know a different philosophical question over you know is the unborn are the unborn people preborn preborn people versus unborn preborn people yeah. are they people in the same way that a living sentient being yeah. in bondage is you know that's the big right, question right, right. but still the claim to them mm-hmm. you know John Brown is you know well John Brown did it for slavery pro-life people have done it for this right on the other side you know John Brown John Brown John Brown is a name a verse came to my mind uh, when you said what is righteousness there's this very famous bible verse about from Matthew no actually it's from Micah it's Micah chapter 6 verse 8 and it says he has shown you O man what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God that's a that's a big often quoted one yeah, I see yeah. that one in, in Instagram profiles totally <laughs> But I think that's a good one. I think that you anybody <clears throat> could live with that, could walk by that. That could be your creed, you know. Walk humbly. Walk humbly. To okay. do justly. Uh, to love mercy. Yeah, but again, it's conflicting with your history know, of great I, men. I I know, and it is complicated. <laughs> Humbly, he says? Humbleness? (laughs) Well, I think the humility and the mercy and the justice that are mentioned here are... It's not that they're qualified, but they're contextualized. Like, unqualified mercy is obviously not just. And maybe it is these things that are actually qualifying themselves. Mercy that is just, mercy that is humble, justice that is humble, hum- humility that is just. You know, they kind of measure th- themselves. Um, I'm sure there's actually a study on this verse somewhere that would be interesting to look into. But it's the, it's the unreserved, unreserved uh, mercy. Or like distorted versions of mercy, mm. where your mercy isn't just. Right. That creates problems. You know, unjust egalitarianism. Where you think you're being merciful, but you're not really doing anybody any favors, including yourself. Usually driven by the will of, of a popular vote. Right. You know, sort of, democracy can sort of really... Over does override in, in most in many circumstances righteousness right and and the humility you're talking about and right it overrides it right I mean if eighty percent of your country is doing the wrong thing well humility is not suicidal but a lot of people these days are are feigning humility when really they're just being suicidal. I don't think they're like anti their own existence and they think they're being humble. That's, that's not correct. humility. Antinatalist people. Right. The, oh, the, I shouldn't exist. I shouldn't create more people. No, that, I think it's the opposite. Know? I think it's the opposite. Yeah. I think it's an arrogance towards creation. Oh, yeah. And exactly. if you have an arrogance 
built into your philosophy. It's the opposite of humility. Right. It's, uh, it's your humility has gone, or what you think is humility, has gone so far that it's become arrogance. I, I think of, I really think of, besides that, I think, besides that point, I think humility is also gratitude. Mm-hmm. So it's to walk with gratitude, mm-hmm. you know, to be grateful for your existence would be yeah. sort of the first act of gratitude. Which would be a, a just orientation toward your surroundings you right. know, and your history. Exactly. Yeah. Now we're getting into Aristotle, and you have uh, you have St. Thomas Aquinas. Out yeah, here. but I've only read a little bit of this. <laughs> just enough to dip my toes in. It's, it's uh, just a little out of time. We, we have to bring in some of these. Our, our rule set is so strict. It's good, though. But maybe we'll break the rules every once in a while to bring in a, a Thomas Aquinas or a Rimbaud or something. I think we use these as intertextual texts. True. You know, and like I have this painting open today, you know, the J.M.W. Turner book here. Yeah. Just to contextualize the mood. Yeah. Of the time. I love it. I love seeing not, it open. Not to discuss a whole painting or to go sure, off. Sure. We, we're staying. We're staying on essay. Yeah. On the topic of, you know, we wanted yeah. to talk about uh, righteousness and, you know, uh, the martyr. Right. I guess the final portion, I don't know how far along we are, but the final portion that I wanted to really throw out there, if we are even at that point, was whether... Uh, the idea of martyr, martyrdom is even is possible hmm. in the modern age, and I think that you touched upon it somewhat in an alternative way when you're talking about you know the the new hero is going to be someone who lives for beauty mm-hmm. and lives for art mm-hmm. without seeking praise or you know gratification from the social media apps. <laughs> But they just do it, you know. They take the road trip because to, to experience the divine, not to take pictures and post it on your story, or or they start a family, but they don't post their kid every two minutes. Yeah, they don't make it a lifestyle. A lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. It, it cheapens everything, right? So, right. is that the new martyrdom? Like, what is what does it mean to be a martyr? Oh, that's an interesting question. It's all yours. Here's the mic. Here's the milk mic. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea, but I do think that there is there's something I'll have to think about that, but there's something to keeping things for yourself. Cuz everything is oh, share this, share that, share every single moment. Like it and it also it just looks so silly cuz you always have to in order to do it, you have to pause, you have to like take yourself out of the scene that you're actually in, like imagine you're in an actual movie, which you, everyone kind of is in a movie all the time. You're in a drama, you're playing a character, mm-hmm. people you're with are playing their character. But you have to get out of that drama for a moment to pick up your phone and to become a right. camera operator for a moment so you cease to be your character unless you've made being a camera operator part of your character. It's just a mess. It's so to to cut it out, to drop out from that, yeah, I think it's amazing. I, I try to do that, actually. I try to just not yeah. participate. Like, obviously, I do share things, because I, I think that um, 
Instagram is like our new Telegram service. It's a way of sending people instantaneous uh, postcards. It's also a, an address book in a mm-hmm. way. Um, it's many things, but I don't know. I I do contemplate just deleting it all. Well, I think the uh, the oversharing, you know, the idea of a private life. Mm. It was actually Tim, Timothy Snyder, I think, in that little book on tyranny, which I thought was mostly just kind of a junk book. It was obviously just, uh, you know, for the most part, a rant against uh, the administration at the time. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I read it because it's little. But the one chapter that really stuck, that I, I said, yes, that's, that is true, is the establish and maintain a private life. Wow. Make sure that you don't give it all away. Be, I like that. Almost um, as a form of resistance to sort of the regime and all of the vulture powers, you know, right. of the corporate, the corporate everything that's sort of stealing your data and your life information yeah. all the time to sell you things and bind you and make you depressed. Well, you keep things to your, you keep part of your life for yourself. It also allows you to walk humbly. And uh, that's really good. Have a private life. Part of having a private life, have an inner life. Yeah. Your inner life is probably your most private life. Didn't we talk about this before on the same Private Ryan, one of those scenes that stuck with me? Have you seen that movie? Yes. It's one of my favorite movies. It might be I've my seen favorite. seen it a number of times. But the end, he yeah, says. Yeah, you say that line. He says, Tell me about the rose bushes with your wife. Private Ryan says to Captain Miller. And he goes, no, that one's just for me. He ends it. He's he's not going to tell him. He goes, no, I'm, that's mine. Not in a selfish way. He just goes, no, that's that's what gets me through. It's not it's not for the world to experience. It's for me to experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's missing. That magic's missing. Yeah, because there's always this this you you don't get to actually experience it. Right. Yourself. If I just put this phone up and start recording you every time right. you talk, I'm not actually experiencing the interaction. Right. You're going to experience it through the other people who experience it because you're going to be right. checking the. And it's going to be watered watch. down by yeah. the time you get to it. So it's like going to a concert, you know, the phone's up. I'm, I'm sitting there like, are yeah. any of you here? Yeah, <laughs> this is well trodden ground, of course. Do you think your photo, like your photo's more amazing you're gonna go to paris see the eiffel tower it's like yeah maybe you take a photo as like a journal stamp but well i think that this better photo i think this next generation is gonna scoff at the how silly it is that all these older people are constantly holding up their phones to the world they're gonna be like yeah they're gonna be like you guys are so ridiculous what next gen z or one after it alpha Gen, Al- Gen Alpha is going to be like you guys. Are you think so? You think they're going to be in full rebellion? One hundred percent. They're the next hippies. Well, I don't know. They're the next hippie generation. I'm pretty nervous because I think we have the next. You know, the next, the great industry now is I think, OnlyFans and I think nobody is raising their kids. At least from what I've seen, nobody is raising their kids better than millennials are raising their kids. Millennials are really come on putting in. You don't believe that? I do. I think that they're they're really studying to try to be good parents to raise 
good kids. And it's not in this, it's not in this helicopter hovering, oh, my child needs a trophy for participating. Because they were raised that, we were raised that way. Yes, but, but we're not raising our kids. The problem is that it's not that, you know, people like your brother, like yourself, uh, people in this town I've seen who are doing a good job, really, I, I commend them. I see it. I don't know the intimate natures yeah, of yeah, it all, but I, I'm like, yeah, these these do seem like great parents. The problem is, is when they get sent to school, if they get sent to school. Well, yeah, that's another conversation. And you have sort of these lunatics who are there just to subvert your children, it seems. A lot uh, of them. I think know. even so, like, the kids who come out of that are going to rebel so hard. Right. Because there already the t- are kids who are coming out of all that. That's and, the tendency and, to do and that. And they're pissed. And they're going to come at all of this nonsense with vengeance in their well, it's, hearts. It's the new, uh, you know, rebellion against right-wing conservatism right. in the 60s, right? Right. But this is the new conservative. Yeah. Conserving regime power. Right. Is what the institutions are doing. So people are going to rebel against what what is... What the powers that are conserving? They're going. Yeah, yeah. They have the power, so they're conserving it, right? Exactly. So, so people will naturally. I don't know what that's going to look like. I well, don't think the, it's the next be, punk rock, I think, is going to be G.G. Allen's. Return. No phones. Like you're optimistic. I'm super optimistic. It's going to be like really lame for you to pull out your phone and be like, "Oh my gosh, I got to take a photo of my plate of food." You're going to be like, "Really, <laughs> that bro?" Is lame. Like that you're is never lame. invited again. Julia <laughs> did that yesterday and I said, and she 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 doesn't normally do that. We were at, we were at Orchard. Yeah. She got a beautiful drink yeah. from Bailey. Yeah. He's really king over there. He yeah, makes yeah. a really good drink, yeah. you know. It was pretty, and she said, "Well, I can tag Bailey in it, and you know, just because uh, um, it's, you know, he did a good job, and I can yeah. sh- say, hey, this guy made a good thing.' It's like, oh, I kind of get that, but for the most part, if you're doing that routinely, put that phone down. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not a phone. phone I'm definitely phone not a policeman about it, but I. I do. Well, I wasn't police. Yeah, was like, sure. What do you do? You don't do this. What do you yeah, do? She's yeah, like, well, yeah. you know, give him some credit. Yeah. No, it's She's true. like, all right. You know, you're, I mean, your brother's business gets that a lot because people love to take pictures of their coffee. Yeah. Like, all right. Hey, I get it. Yeah. Like, there's artwork in the coffee. For sure. <laughs> I do think the kids, though, are going to bail on that. You they're, think? They're not going to be interested in it. They're not even going to drink coffee anymore. No, they'll drink coffee, but they're just going to be so in the moment, like just Zorba the Greek. Icelandic They're going to be absorbed in the moment. <laughs> I don't have the context for this shit. <laughs> they're just going to be so absorbed that uh, they're just not going to be interested in, like, why would I put my phone between me and this... Yeah. This moment. All right. Well, fair. You know, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. The, the turning is here. Are there any other thoughts, though, on St. Matthew's, you know, the chapters in St. Matthew? Well, um, there's a lot you could get into, but I think, I think the Sermon on the Mount is good. It's good because... It's such a big book. You you can't even begin to approach it with only a handful of minutes, even an hour and a half. Like, come on, you can't even start talking about it. But you can point to the Sermon on the Mount and you can gesture toward it. 
in, you know, in the time that we gave it, I think, and say, oh, it's over there, and you should look at it. Sure. Um, I think it's very beautiful. I think it's hilarious that, you know, uh, I think it was Obama in some speech said that it was like politically subversive and dangerous at one point during his uh the gospel of matthew he said the sermon on the mount was in a good way like it's a subversive thing no no he said it was bad really yeah Are you making that up no some, no you can look it up the obama propaganda coming in no no <laughs> no i thought that was just why a wild claim to make yeah well i don't think there's any doubt that he probably feels that way but you know he's a christian yeah I think doesn't he go to the hey I'm not a I'm not a look I'm not a I can't say whether someone is or isn't you know yeah yeah no, I, I have no idea what would I call myself people say well are you a Christian I say uh, I guess nominally you know I civilizationally I, no I believe I believe uh, what I believe about the you know Christ and the gospels and sort of I think what Augustine and Aquinas get at is similar in some ways in that, honestly, if you, if you took this book away, it's like the Life of, Je- uh, Life of Jesus book, yeah, which, ex- you know, Christ as a revolutionary figure and not even yeah. as an immortal figure, just an important revolutionary figure. Even if, you t- even if this was a total myth. Yeah. Let's just take Christ and say he's never existed. The historical Jesus... It's false. We, I don't believe that to be true, but let's just say that's the case. It doesn't take away from the fact that this seems to me to be the most correct way to live. Yeah. And the fact that this even exists in this form mm-hmm. is existence of the Christ. Yeah. To me. Yeah. So if you remove walk on water or healing, you know, the sick and the blind... Yeah. And then you take it even a step further. I don't even know if he really exists. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Because it has shaped the world for the last 2,000 years. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter if that's true. Yeah. You don't, we didn't live in a lie. Right. For 2,000 years. We lived out this story. Right. And we're still living it out. Right. This is kind of like Jordan Peterson saying, it, whether or not it's factually true is kind of irrelevant. It's narratively true. Narratively true, exactly. Right. Uh, <laughs> we had to bring them up. And <laughs> no, but but that ma- and, and, and you're seeing now again, you know, as Dostoevsky and Solzhenitsyn right. sort of warn about sort of. The it's like yeah, it's like fic- it's like people talking about Dostoevsky, and they're like, well, it's just fiction, and it's like, yeah, but it's true fiction. It's true. It's telling the it's truth. It's telling you the truth. It's telling you true so things. We're living through this world of the objective subjectivity or subjective objectivity now. Two plus two could equal five, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, you're violating all of these laws. Right. This book establishes a certain degree of what is naturally law. It's why yeah. somebody like John Brown could do what he did and it holds up. Right. And you say that he was following sort of the natural law. We understand overwhelmingly to a degree that that's correct. Right. Now we live in the society of distorting what's correct. Right. We're like, and now we don't really know. And you've got these kids coming up who really don't know. Yeah. Well, could two plus two really, could it be five? It's just language. Right. Right. You know, it's not, 
The five is just because we ascribed a word right. to things we could just see. Yeah, the problem, of course, is that when you start allowing just like chaotic definitions chaos? of things yeah 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 <laughs> is it's pure chaos man. It's, you like, s- <clears throat> it's like you know get in clean your room you know you, like- you start ruining the, your ability to have predictive power in the world mm, exactly so like okay if I allow you to say 2 plus 2 equals 5 well now I need to reorient all math um, or not and, even have math or not even have math uh, in order to make that thing true in a world larger than just itself, right? So that it works, so that we can actually predict things. Because if we if we make it so that's just true by itself, well, but it doesn't prediction, and it just is right, right, right. It gets now crazy. You're, you're in trouble, you know. But These, math is driven by those same natural laws. It's organ. It's it's a period of discovery, a process of discovery. Yeah, to just uncover. Well, to make you know, sense of the world, to make sense of the world, but those so that you can fun- move around in it, so that you have pre- well, truth is that which has predictive power. Mm-hmm. This is this is one of the lines that I I love. I heard Roger Scruton say it, or I read him say it, but there was another guy who said it. I forget where. These three lines from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter five, I really like, and I. I can't see how they're dangerous. Blessed, verses 7 through 9, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Is that dangerous? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Super dangerous. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. This is some dangerous shit, Kyle. <laughs> what is to the, to the system? Right? <laughs> Uh, Let's say, say, you know, nine. Blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah. That's dangerous to the to the military-industrial complex. <laughs> true. You know? Uh, true. The pure in heart, that's dangerous, too. We can't have people being pure in heart. You right, have to have filthy... That's it, children. The children are Filthy pure heart. heart. Yeah. Children are pure in heart, really. Right. That's the idea, right? So yes. you have to taint them. Um, Blessed are the merciful. Yeah, we can't have mercy. There's really so much... We can't have the obtaining of mercy. That's so, dangerous. Right. There's really so much in the, in this, in, in the Gospels that is really... Not really anything you can argue against. It'd be very difficult to argue against. Yeah. Uh, my, you know, my... I, I like when he, when he gets mad at the, you know, the people who... Are selling things Use in debt. the temple? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Also Use that, debt yeah. to sort of pin people mm-hmm. um, into the corner. And that's, you know, again. Yeah. That's our whole, our whole, our whole society is built on that. Yeah. It's our true. whole society, the Antichrist is really the mechanisms of our society. It's not a person. Yeah. It's an Antichrist society. Mm-hmm. Anti-Christian society. Mm-hmm. I think I think most people would probably agree with that. Yeah. From their own vantage points. Yeah. You know. They'd say, yeah, that's true. Some people would be thrilled. Others would say, we need to, you know, get back to, I don't know, getting people in the pews. I, I don't think that's going to help either, though. You know. Yeah. Well, how should we wrap this up? Are we ready? Yeah. 
Everybody go look at the uh, Slavers Throwing Overboard the Dead and Dying Typhoon Coming On painting by J.M.W. Turner. <laughs> Excellent. You can also read John Brown's Body by Stephen Vincent Benet. I don't know if we're going to do that next, though. What do you want to... We, sh- we should finish... Because we touched on pause. Yeah, we should do pause. Let's do pause next. Give it a proper episode. Yeah. Benet takes a little longer. We'll do yeah, that after. We'll get to it. Or we'll do that in the future. But sure, sure. we're going to do pause. We should do pause next. You yeah. agree? Yeah. Okay. Pause would be good. Yeah. So that's... um. Uh, uh, the the labyrinth of solitude. The labyrinth of solitude. And yeah, and then we'll have to do something um, a bit more current after that. Yeah, we're preparing for Argentina. Yes. Yes. It'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Until the next one. <laughs>